Welcome to Renewed by the Word with Pastor Edwin from Redeemer Church, Miami. We are glad you can join us today. Please grab your Bibles as we walk through the Word of God together this morning. Well, good morning, church, and it's good to be with you once again. The word gospel uh, we thank you translates to news. Uh, to be with us uh, this morning, and we're going to take a look at the second, uh, cha- this second half of Galatians chapter 1. Well, church, we take another step into uh, Galatians. Here you can see a map uh, in front of you just for a moment. Let me just walk you through it, and we'll go into a little more detail here in just a moment. This is uh, a behind-the-scenes. I'm the kind of person who, when I buy a DVD or a Blu-ray, and before I watch the movie, I watch the the behind-the-scenes. I want to know what happens in the movie. I want to know how they did it, how long it took, what did the actors do, what did the stuntmen do. And this is one of those few texts that take us behind the scenes. If you notice the end of what I was reading, Paul is showing you a little bit of of his history, a little bit of what he did after he was converted, and you can see it here on the map. You can see a bunch of arrows going from Jerusalem there towards the bottom up to Damascus where he meets Christ. And then he goes off to Arabia. You see those, those uh, red lines curving down to Arabia. Then he comes back. Then he goes back to Jerusalem, as you saw in the text. And then he has to hightail it, so to speak, up to Tarsus because he's running for his life. And then he would end up in Antioch later on, which became his home church. So we wanted to just show you that so you can see uh, the, first, the travels of the Apostle Paul before he even begins his missionary journeys. This is what he was doing behind the scenes, right? He, he had gone basically on one uh, journey when, uh, when he gets to Galatians, but this is everything that's happening right before he really launches into his ministry, and we wanted to show it to you. So with that in mind and with that introduction, we want to jump into our text from this morning. Once again, it's very rare for us to see in the Scriptures, you see it a lot in the Old Testament because of the movement of the characters, the movement through the areas. But nonetheless, here in the New Testament, you don't see it as much. And Paul has given us a beautiful picture. And it's a very important picture, right, for the point that he's making in this text. Let me just remind you of two things that we talked about last week, very briefly, so we can jump on in. Last week, we talked about how there were these men, these leaders who came up from the Jerusalem church and had confused some of the churches in this area of Galatia. There were about four of them together. We showed you that map last week. And they were saying that, that it was everything that Paul was preaching was fine and dandy about Jesus, but you needed to be circumcised and you needed to obey the Old Testament. You needed to kind of bring Moses into the picture, right? The writer of those first five books of the law in the Old Testament in order for your salvation to be complete. And so Paul is pushing back and saying, who taught you this? Do you remember last week? Who is shaking you? Who's teaching you these things? You know, if if anyone has heard a different gospel than mine, may he be cursed by God. Those Those are big words, right? And so the question here in this text, which we'll deal with first, is so where does the gospel come from? The other big deal that he made last week, I'll just, just to refresh your memory as we dive in, was him as an apostle. You heard him refer to Peter. I hadn't met the apostles yet as I am. So again, he throws that into, this, into, the, into the text because some of those leaders from Jerusalem were saying, this guy's not even an apostle. He wasn't a disciple. When did he see Jesus? Where did he get this authority from? Why is he preaching to you? So they were trying to call into question his character. So he kind of really hit hard on his apostleship right, that it came from God, it came from Christ. Today, as he continues to write to these churches in Galatia, he's going to make the argument of where the gospel came from. So where did this message come from? Because if you're going to say 
that their message is not valid, but yours is, well, then you got to tell me where it comes from. Where is this authority coming from? Why is your message greater than theirs? And that's what he launches into in this, these first verses that we, that we saw. Notice that he says, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. It's not from man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. So he's trying to tell you, this didn't come from my imagination. This wasn't something that I kind of thought about. You know, the Old Testament, I was a Pharisee, so I knew the whole thing by memory that I just kind of put some dots together and I kind of spit out this idea of Jesus. I wasn't taught by anyone. When Ananias came to pray for me and lay hands on me that I couldn't see, I was blind because of my encounter with Christ. He didn't whisper something in my ear, hey, this is what they're saying down in Jerusalem. None of this happened. So again, where did it come from? And the Apostle Paul is saying, I got this from Jesus. I got this from Jesus because there is no way on earth that my imagination or what I knew as a Pharisee or me just taking some parts of the Old Testament and kind of spinning them a bit and sprinkling some Jesus on it would cause the revolution that it's caused in your area. In these four main towns, again, that we saw last week in the map that we showed you, that, that hearts were changed, that people were changed. And now that I'm writing to you, it's no longer little small groups. We're not talking about five, six, seven, eight, ten people. We're talking about small little churches. These were pretty big groups of people now, right? How could my gospel be just a made-up thing and all of a sudden hearts are being changed? This wasn't a religion where you're just kind of going through the exercises, just kind of doing it just to do it. No, lives were different. People were changing. How do you explain that except that it's from Jesus Christ? So Paul is going to say, he's going to push back and say, not only was I called by God, called by Jesus, right? Called, chosen, commissioned by them, directly by them, not by anybody else, but my message was given to me directly by Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to get to that just a little deeper in just one moment. But the point here is this. Jesus Christ is the revealer of the message. He's giving them him the words. And then the language here is very interesting, the Greek language in, in this first verse, where Jesus himself is also the message, right? So Jesus is giving him the words to say, but Jesus is the very substance, the stuff that the words are about. He has given himself to Paul. So Paul's mission and message are coming directly from God. His mission and his message are coming directly from Jesus Christ. Words revealed by Christ, not by anyone else, right? Direction given by God and Christ, not by anyone else. And that's what he is preaching, and that's what he is doing. Jesus had revealed himself to the Apostle Paul. Not just information, not just information, not just things to remember, or yeah, there was this one Old Testament moment. No, no, no. Jesus had revealed himself. Paul, see me. See me. See what I have done. And again, we're going to get into more detail into that in just one second as we head into our second point, which is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But nonetheless, the important thing here for us to grasp is Paul is saying, I got it from no one. I didn't make it up. I didn't imagine it. I didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe this is how it works. No, message given to me by God and by Christ. The words, the substance, the person behind the words, the person of the words, Jesus Christ, saying, see me, Paul, and give me to other people. God's call, God's word, God's message. The mission, the mission and the message is Christ. Hey, listen, 
Sometimes, you know, we have a combination of things happening in our Christian lives. There's the moment where we meet Christ, where we see our sin, and, and we realize what's been done to, for us, and we change. And then there's uh, pastors and worship leaders, and there's conferences, and there's Bible studies, and there's personal devotionals that begin to layer one on top of the other in order to deepen, right, and to open our view of this Jesus Christ. That's all well and good. But in the end, one thing that Paul is pushing very hard that I want to push hard and impress upon you this morning is your personal experience with Jesus Christ. Now, we got to be careful. We can't fall into the error that our society has gone into where it's my experience and it's what I think and it's what I see and it's what I perceive. It's what I feel. That, that's not what we're saying here. That's not what we're saying here. Please distinguish between the two. What we're saying here is that when you repented from your sins, when you saw that you were on a dead-end road, when you knew there was no other way to go except Jesus be my Lord and Savior because your eyes were open and God was calling you home, you had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. You had a personal experience of Jesus Christ. And so all of a sudden we take that experience and what we're supposed to do is right, run it through the filter of Scripture. Because you have this overwhelming experience, you have this overwhelming change, you have this transformation of the heart, you're kind of being redirected like Paul was redirected, and sometimes people kind of take that and think, oh, that's the whole thing right there. No, 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 no. That's why God gave us a scripture. We are to take our personal experience of Jesus Christ, right, our personal experience with Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to run it through the filter of scripture, deepening it anchoring it to something, putting cement underneath it, that then you might share it. The mistake that a lot of folks make, and I, know, and I saw this because I was a youth pastor for, for many, many years. I was a campus minister at the University of Miami for many, many years. And the mistakes that some of the individuals who I saw before me, that I learned from their mistakes was this. Young person meets Jesus. Their life changes completely, right? And all of a sudden, they're talking different. You know, they're walking different. They're thinking different. Christ has gotten a hold of them. They take them and make them a leader. Mistake. Mistake because there's no cement, there's no anchor, there's, there's no depth there. So what you have to do with that individual is disciple them. That's where that, that's where that comes from. Jesus Christ called the disciples and notice that they didn't really lead for three and a half years until Pentecost, until the gift of the Spirit. It was three and a half years of training before they ever uttered a word on their own. Does Jesus send them out uh, a couple of times on their own? Yes. And if you remember one of those, they come back defeated. Couldn't change anybody. Right? Ah, there it is. Right? And, and he was just giving them the experience. Right? They had to get their feet wet a little bit. They had to feel the pushback. They had to feel the resistance. They had to understand how to walk without him. But they were, they were just preparing until three and a half years later, on Pentecost Sunday, Peter stands, the group stands, and now we're preaching to people in different languages, and we're changing hearts. Three and a half years of preparation. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is that we see here in Paul is we have had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Now it falls on us to deepen that, right? To give it legs, to give it cement, a foundation from your church, from your pastor, from the Bible studies. That's why we make such a big deal about Bible study, right? With the worship, with conferences here and there, with books that you might read. On. That's all deepening it and solidifying it, right? But, but the first thing is, the most important thing is your experience running through the filter of Scripture before you give it to someone else. Please remember that. Please remember that. So the Apostle Paul now, he's made the argument, right, this came from Christ and God. And now he has to say, well, let me prove it to you. 
So he takes you down, I guess what we would call memory lane. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this second point. Basically, verses 13 all the way through 21. He talks about his past. He talks about his conversion. Then he talks about kind of what he did in the, in the present, uh, right, leading in to his writing this letter to, to the Galatians. First of all, let's talk about his path. In verses 13 and 14, look at the words that he uses. You've heard of my previous way of life. Listen to these words, church. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So he makes two points about his past. First, how he tried to destroy the church, and then how he was zealous for his traditions. So let's talk about Saul of Tarsus, right? That's who he was before he meets Christ. Let's talk about that man for just a split second. Notice what he tells you here. And by the way, the words that he uses as he's writing, the Greek language here for destroy, it's of an individual or of a city that is burned to the ground. The word carries connotations of violence. It carries connotations of savagery. That's Saul of Tarsus. In other words, as a Pharisee, he runs into this movement of Jesus followers. And he's like, what is this? What is this? So what does he do? He tries to stamp it out. He tries to destroy it. If you go to Acts chapter 8, right before his conversion, you will see Saul of Tarsus, Pharisee of Pharisees, right? The bounty hunter for the Jerusalem church, for all those religious leaders who put Jesus on a cross. He is going, and, and please look it up, Acts chapter 8, door to door in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not a small city. It was a pretty big place. It was one of, not obviously not as big as Rome and not as big as maybe as Ephesus, but it was big. Can you imagine Saul of Tarsus door to door? Knock, knock. Who's there? Saul of Tarsus. Do you know anything about Jesus? Well, I bumped into someone and they preached to me and I attended. You attended a what? A meeting? Grabbing you by the hair, grabbing your wife, grabbing your kids, dragging you out of that house and straight to jail if you even made it to jail because you might be killed along the way. That's Saul of Tarsus. That's what he's talking about here. That's who this man is. Knock, knock, who's there? Saul of Tarsus. You don't open the door. But if you don't open it, guess what he's going to do? He's going to kick it down. And you're going to be forced to answer the question. That's who this man is. This man is a destroyer. This man is a savage. This man is a killer. And then underneath all that, underneath all that, he says, I'm very zealous for the traditions. I was advancing, you know, past the people in my own age group into the, to the realm of the older ones. What's he saying? Top of the class. He is the Pharisee among Pharisees. No one knows the Old Testament better than he does. No one knows the traditions better than he does. No one keeps them better than he does. And anything that gets in the way of those traditions, anything that gets in the way of Judaism, right, his Old Testament faith, has to be stamped out and destroyed. That's why he uses the word zealous. So you talk about destruction and you talk about zealous. That's Saul of Tarsus. This was the kind of man, this was the kind of man who you cannot bargain with who you would not negotiate anything with. There was nothing to talk about. There was only a yes or no answer. Do you know about Jesus? Yes or no? Are you a follower of this Jesus cult thing that we have going on here in Jerusalem? Yes or no? And you were going to pay for whatever answer it was. If you said no, close the door and he moved on. If you said yes, you were in a world of trouble. Your life was now in his hands. This is Saul of Tarsus. Do you think that anyone can change this man's mind? 
Do you think that anyone can bump into him on the road and say, well, Saul, you know about Jesus, you know about the cross and about what he taught and, you know, be a peacemaker. Do you think that this man could be reasoned with or bartered with? There was no discussion with this kind of a man. The only person who can change Saul of Tarsus was God himself. Let's pause for a short application before we move on. I love that Saul, this is now 15 years later when he's writing Galatians. His reputation still follows him. And I love that the Apostle Paul embraces his past. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't run from it. He was a killer and he knows it. He tried to burn the church to the ground and he knows it. He was zealous for traditions and customs that were a religion, not a relationship, and he knows it. This was a man who took his past. He didn't run away from it. He took his past. He wasn't afraid of it. He took his past. He didn't try to kind of gloss it over or, or fix it up a little bit. He embraced it because he realized that his past was a piece of the puzzle of his salvation. His past was a, a great piece which brought in the grace of God poured down upon him and changed him. He knew his mistakes were many. He knew his failures were massive and huge. He knows that he was misdirected and misguided. And because of that, he understood the grace of God that much better. Listen, I don't know what you've done and I don't know what you've gone through. I don't have to either. That's your business with the Lord. But here's what I can tell you. Don't run from it. Don't be afraid of it. It is also a part of your puzzle of salvation. It is meant to be as disastrous, some of you might say, you know, disastrous, messy, right, tangled up, a spider web of mess in order for you to appreciate, in order for you to be that more thankful, in order for you to just keep pushing deeper into the grace of God so that you have something to say. When someone comes into your life with that same mess, with that same disaster, with that same tangled web, and they say, what on earth can I do? Well, I know exactly what you have to do. There's this guy called Jesus that we have to talk about. Embrace your past. Embrace the mistakes. It's okay. God knows, and God will redeem it, and God wants to use it that your testimony, that the words that come out of your mouth about Jesus would have that much more depth, would carry that much more weight because you know what you've been rescued from. You know what you've been redeemed from. You know what God has fixed and what God has renewed and transformed and done. And now you get a chance to share it. And you know for a fact, just like Saul, there was no fixing it. There was no fixing it on your own, right? There was no negotiating with it to try to make it prettier. There was none of that. It was only the sheer grace of God. Embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. Use it as part of your testimony to impact the life of another because more than likely they carry the same burden that you used to carry before you met Jesus. So Paul takes us from his past now to his conversion. Look at how pretty the words he uses. But when God set me apart from the womb, called me by his grace to preach. Notice the shift all of a sudden. I was destroying, I was zealous, I was persecuting, right? Notice that it's him. And now all of a sudden there's a shift. 
He does it purposefully in the language so that they would understand, so that we would understand how God redirected him. God set me apart. God chose and called and commissioned me. God has given me a message, right? He's, he's redirected by God, not because of someone who said something. He didn't bump into someone and they preached Jesus. No, no, no. This was God dealing directly with the Apostle Paul. We note, and I just highlight for you very quickly as we, move, as we continue to move forward, be aware of what God is doing in your life. Ask for eyes to see that you might see the changes that he's making, that you might see the direction that he wants for you, that you might see the next step that he has for you. Ask for eyes to see. Paul had them. Paul realized now that he was set apart from before time began to be this man, that God was calling him, that God had given him the grace that he needed to stand up on his two feet again and be a witness for Christ, not a destroyer of Christ. Ask for eyes to see what God is doing in you. Ask for eyes to see what God wants to do through you. God sets us apart. God calls us. God changes us. God redirects us by his grace. By his grace, Paul was called to this mission. By God's grace, God was, Paul was given this message. And it's another reminder, an application for us again. All of us are put on this earth to play a part in the advancing of God's kingdom. Maybe you're not called to be a pastor. That's fine. Maybe you're not called to be a, a youth pastor, a worship leader. A That's fine. But everyone, everyone who is redeemed and transformed by the power of the cross, the blood of the Lamb, the unction of the Spirit, right, just this total pouring out of the Spirit on us, has a purpose, has a part to play in the advancement of the kingdom. Maybe it's a small part. Maybe it's a big part. But it's a part, and you have to play it. That's why you were put on earth. You weren't put on earth to be a good son or daughter and get some good grades in high school and go to college and, you know, get a degree and, and then get a job and, and then maybe find a wife and some kids and a dog and a cat and a house and a car and then you get old and there's grandkids and then you get sick one day and you fade to black. It's more than that. It's more than that. God put us on earth and when God opens our eyes and calls us back home, just like Paul, we are being given a mission. Just like Paul, we're given a message because of the work of Christ in us by grace. It is a privilege to play even a small part in the kingdom of God. It is an incredible responsibility to play a small part in the kingdom of God. Play your part and play it well. Not to help a church, not to help a pastor because he's a nice guy, but for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ, because of the change that's happened in you and that God wants it to move through you and out to then your church, to then bless a pastor, then bless a friend, to bless a small group, etc., etc., etc. You get the point. We are chosen to fight for other people's souls, not to just be on vacation all the time. We are called not to be in the spotlight, but to be a servant. We are saved to save. Paul was fanatical, fanatical about the law. Now he's fanatical about grace. He was fanatical right, about these traditions and these customs. Now he's fanatical about a person. That person is Jesus Christ. 
he takes it a little bit deeper. There's a phrase here that honestly, I, I checked some of the commentaries, I checked some of the great writers, and they, they just kind of glossed over it a bit. But I just want to pause for a second and just make a big deal about it for two moments. Because Paul says, reveal his son in me. Notice he doesn't say through me. He doesn't say to me. He says, reveal his son in me. This is what I was getting at. Jesus Christ put himself on display for Paul. Right, we're going we're to get into that in about 10 seconds. Because I just want to say this before we get there. Paul realized that all the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the poetry, all the Psalms, all the traditions, all the customs for over 2,000 years of Israel, being born with Abraham and making all the way to where they were, he realized that it was all pointing to this individual. He wasn't just a good prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. This was the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for. And now his part to play, his small part, big part to play, was to take the message outside of the borders of Israel, right? To break down walls, that it would be a message of inclusion, not exclusion. That, that we wouldn't build up walls because of this religion that we had, that we would tear them down and bring people together. That's what I said a few weeks ago when, when the rioting and all the problems started. Church, we are called to be the ones who are bridge builders. That's why I warn you, be careful about being too much of a, of a, of a, of a speaker for a certain political agenda or a certain political view. Right? If you're going to be a speaker for anything, be a speaker for the peace that only Jesus Christ can bring, for the walls that only Jesus Christ can tear down, for the unity that only Jesus Christ can bring. Make sure that you are a loudspeaker about that and not about issues that society has that bring division and break us apart. Paul was pushing past traditions, past stereotypes to reach out to the Gospels. In me, the only way he could do that the only way he could do that was Christ in his heart, at the very core of his being, right? The, the machine that then changes the direction of everything and, and spills out. Hey, listen, I'll paint it to you this way. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are terrible. Uh, how long have we suffered now? I think I, I've even stopped listening to sports radio until everything starts up again. Um, there's really nothing to say right now with no sports, but my goodness, they're terrible. And we saw glimmers of hope, right? And supposedly there's a good draft and supposedly there's good free agents. You know, good conversation until the season really starts and we find out if what looks good on paper looks good on the field, right? But my goodness, they're terrible. And they've been terrible for a long time. If they're so bad, why do you still see people around town when football season gets close? They put a hat on. Dolphins. A visor on. They put a jersey on. They put a shirt on. They put the little flags in their car. Why would you do that for an awful, terrible team. Do you know why? Because that team has a place in their heart. It has a little place so that no matter how bad they are, you won't give up on that love. And that love drives you to do something as ridiculous as wearing a jersey for a team that hasn't had a winning season in who knows how long. Some children were born and they haven't won anything. Okay? There it is. And that's what Paul is saying. Revealed his son in me. Jesus Christ grabbed a piece of the Apostle Paul's heart that no matter what happened or what took place, it could not be moved and it could not be shaken and he would be a speaker of Jesus, a declarer of Jesus, a preacher of Jesus, no matter what. Son in me. Son, the Son of God in his heart. 
application for us. Own the message. Own it. Don't let it be just information that you just kind of pass along. No, allow Jesus Christ, allow the Son of God to be in you. That the same way that you get passionate about a football team or a, or a basketball team or you get passionate about a certain movie or a certain series, a certain something, whatever it is you know, you can fill in the blank. That you would be passionate, I would hope more passionate, about Jesus Christ. right? That, that he would reserve not only a corner, but that, that he would capture all of your heart so that all of you would be about him. So that you would, you know, wave the flag of Jesus, you know, not the flag of a football team. That you would speak of Jesus at every turn that you had, not so much, you know, just a locker room kind of. There's, there's a time and place for that. Obviously, sports are wonderful and movies are wonderful and books are wonderful. and they, Those things are wonderful. But your core, given only to Jesus Christ, that your mission and your message would be clear that your mission and your message would be yours. Paul owned it, and that's why he died for it. And we need a generation of Christians, and I know that our church is in line with this, that their hearts belong to Jesus, that their hearts are surrendered to Jesus, that that's what we are about first and foremost. Right? And then afterwards, our job, our families, et cetera, et cetera. Amen. Amen. But first and foremost, hearts for Jesus Christ. Own the mission. Own the message as the Apostle Paul did. So now the Apostle Paul gives you a little, a little personal history. It says that after his conversion in Damascus, he preached a little bit. you got to find that uh, back in the book of Acts, chapter 9. But then he heads off to Arabia. Now watch this. Hang on to your hats for a second. He is in Arabia for three years. We don't know where, we don't know with who, and we have no idea what he was doing. But what we do, what we can very uh, accurately guess is this, because he talks about it in other parts of the book of Acts and in other letters. It was there when he was off the grid, right? No family, no friends. All his, family, all his Pharisee friends are back in Jerusalem, putting the traditions aside, where he goes off to this place and it's just him and Jesus. Jesus ran Paul through the Jesus Seminary. And he had, there was only one teacher, Jesus. And there was only one student, Paul. The same three years that Christ gave to the disciples, he gives three years to Paul. And Paul loved it. He didn't have to share Jesus with anyone else. And not only was he with Jesus, but he also had time alone to process to take the law and to take the prophecies, to take the poetry, to kind of run through the life of Christ, to run through all the events he heard of, all the events that he was tasked, right, with destroying that had changed people's lives, destroying those people too. The cross, the empty tomb, the appearances, Pentecost, this guy Peter that I haven't really met yet, right, preaching, that many thousands of people changed a group that continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. They're surrendering stuff for one another. They're, they're selling their stuff and giving to help people eat. Like what? He's, he's processing all of this. That doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in 15 days. It doesn't happen on a vacation. This happens over time. Three years, Paul is off the grid in Arabia, and he is spending time with the risen 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealing the words. Jesus Christ revealing more and more of himself to the Apostle Paul. So I thought I would give you a little phrase to hang on to. Jesus and me plus three. That's what Paul experienced. Jesus and me plus three. So apply it to your own life. Jesus and me plus three. Would you give Jesus 30 minutes of your day? Just 30 minutes. Bow your head. Pray. Open the word. Follow a devo. Maybe look one up online. Maybe open a, a book by an author that you like. You know, something, have, something with the Christian life or the Christian walk. Whatever it is. Jesus and me plus three. I challenge you uh, to do that. And I want to give that to you also as a gift. Because we must speak to God in Christ first before we speak to people. Paul preached just for a moment in Damascus, just for a moment, but then he went off to Arabia for three years to deepen, to solidify the message so, that I, so the concrete, right, the, the foundation would be set and secure as he moved forward to share the message with other people. Then he goes to Jerusalem. Three years later, he left Jerusalem, right, as part of the Pharisees, as part of the religious system to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He comes back three years later, a man of Jesus Christ. So he tells us that he meets with Peter. All the, if you go back to, to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9, you, it, there's a little note there that everyone was still afraid of him. It's been three years. So that should tell you how savage Paul was. That should tell you how intense this man was. That should tell you the look in this guy's eye was such that three years later, when he shows up to Jerusalem, Right? And he's saying, hey, where's Peter? I want to talk because Jesus changed me. Nobody believes him. They all run and hide. His reputation preceded him in a very powerful way. James comes to see him, human brother of Jesus. He's only there for two weeks. The, the point that Paul is making is this. I wasn't there long enough for Peter to give me three years' worth of Jesus, for me to preach a message that is changing people's hearts, revolutionizing these towns that I visited on my first go-around as a missionary. Not enough time. I talked to these two men, and then guess what? Guess who comes looking for Paul? The religious leaders. Who's in town? Oh, the guy who was, who was on his way to Damascus. We haven't heard from him again, but we heard that he's a Jesus guy now, preaching in synagogues out in, amongst the Gentiles. Where is he? Because we want to talk to him. They don't want to talk to him. They want to kill him. So Paul has to head out, running for his life from Jerusalem, and head back north, head back home. I want to pause to just apply this to us here. Saul of Tarsus, as you've seen, was a man of tradition, of customs, of the Old Testament. He was the guy who delighted having those theological debates, right, the philosophical debates. He was, he was the leader of the group, right? He, was, he had access to the temple, right, to all those places that other people didn't go to, he had access to. He was there watching the sacrifices. He obviously couldn't go into, into the holy place or holy of holies because he wasn't a priest. But nonetheless, he was in it. He was in it. He was like inside of the behind the scenes of everything in Jerusalem, and he had to leave it behind. God always calls us to leave things behind. Sometimes we have to leave jobs and careers, find the one that God has for us. Sometimes we have to step into a career or a job that God has for us. Sometimes there are certain people that, unfortunately, we have to leave behind in order to truly fulfill what God is calling us to do, mission and message. Paul surrendered it. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? Away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, away from the synagogues and the scrolls, everything he loved. He loved it so much. He was so 
passionate. He was fanatical about it. That's what the word zealous and destruction also has underneath. Fanatical about it. And God called him to leave it behind. And he left it behind gladly. Not once did the Apostle Paul look back. I pray that God would give you the courage, the strength of the Apostle Paul to leave whatever has to be left behind that you might find God's mission and God's message for your life. So we finish by saying this. I love this last little phrase that he shares. He says, and they praise God because of me. <clears throat> it was when I arrived at college uh, that I realized how worthless all of the trophies that I had won over the years in football and in basketball and in track were, all the medals that I had at home, you realize how worthless they are when you arrive in college and the level of competition and the level of training, right, is something else. Nobody cares about what you did back then. It's what can you do for me now? To win a trophy at that level is different, right? To have your picture as part of a team that won a conference championship, as I was fortunate to do, is on a wall forever there. And so when you hold up this picture, when you hold up a trophy, people clap for you, right, because of what's accomplished. But they're not so much clapping for the trophy, they're clapping for the accomplishment of the person who's holding up the trophy, right? That's what Paul is saying here. I am God's trophy. The change that's happened in my life has only happened because of him. The mission that I've been given has come directly from him. The message that I've been given has only come from him. The change in my heart has only come from him. I hold up this trophy, which is me, but I want the applause to go to God. Church, we'll finish with these words, and you've heard me say it a lot, and I like to push it a lot and repeat it a lot to us because so easily forgotten it's, you know, the, the, the nature, the old nature in us is always, we're always battling with it. Be a trophy for God. Be the kind of individual who in your speech and in, in your behavior, in how you treat others and what you do for others would bring glory to God. Not glory for you, not spotlight for you, but glory to God that other people might see Jesus in your words and in your actions and how you conduct yourself, how you live your life. Be a trophy for Jesus Christ. Let him hold you high. And then tell people, look who's holding me up. It's him. He called me. He chose me. He commissioned me. He made me a follower. He gave me grace. He gave me forgiveness. Forgiveness. He gave me a new start. I am a person of mission and on mission. I have a message because of what Christ has done for me, has done in me, and is going to do through me. Be a trophy for Jesus Christ. Don't build yourself up, right, so they could hold up a trophy of yourself. Allow Jesus to hold you up and make sure that the spotlight always rests on him and that people would see you, a shiny you, but give glory to the one who has made you, who has transformed you, who has changed you. We see that at the end of this first chapter in Galatians. If Christ could do it with this kind of a monster known as Saul of Tarsus, I know that he could do it in your life, and he wants to do it in your life, and he wants to do it through your life, that your life would give him glory and that your life would have a message that in Jesus Christ all things can be made new. Amen, church. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us today on Renewed by the Word. Our desire and hope is that your time in the Word with Pastor Edwin will continue God's renewal in your entire person and life. For more information about Redeemer Church Miami and Pastor Edwin, visit their website, 
RedeemerChurchMiami.org. That's RedeemerChurchMiami.org. May God bless you richly, and we look forward to being with you next week.